Welcome to Hollywood on Gag, the Harry Kane penalty of political podcast. Oofed. <laughs> Oofed. Season 4, Episode 9. I'm your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. Joining me this evening is co-convener of the Rainbow Greens, hammer of the fast fundamentalists, it's Beth Douglas. <laughs> Hello. Stuttered over your second name there, Beth, sorry. That's okay. I thought you were going to be like Beth Double Douglas, like <laughs> this time with more Douglas. And I'm like, okay, I need to bring the more Douglas side. I need to, I need to get the the clans kill out and everything, and and really just go for it then. So there we go. Let's do and this. The, and the third member of the season triumvirate is Hollywood OG, the wood fired heir, <laughs> the Falkirk Pizza Hut prince himself, Brian Stewart Finley. Hello, hello. It's nice to be back. It's been a long time. Has you love that piece of Prince line? That's every, every time I see your wee face lighting up. I just get I'm just so proud, you know, it's just something to really be proud of, you know, family, you know, heritage and all that. Dynasty, family dynasty. Dynasty, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, how's everybody been? How was your weekend? How's your Monday been? I've just been trying to keep warm. Like, I've been trying to, I got into my head that. I would never take a cab in Glasgow. I'll just cycle everywhere. And now it's really getting to that period of the year where that's impossible. <laughs> if you want to go and die in the frost or even worse than frost. And so see the soggy leaves, they'll they'll kill you. That's what will really get you. So I've been trying to just really keep warm. And 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 yeah, I, sh- I should be at the gym today. But um, no, could you imagine walking to the gym in this cold heat? In no. this cold heat? In this cold? Nah, it's not good. I so, yeah. totally imagine walking to the gym in any conditions to be Brian, how's your weekend? Um, mine's has been pretty chilled out. Like I've just been recovering. Had an operation a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I've been out. I've been able to to walk around, uh, which is which is nice. Not stuck in the house anymore. Um, but it's too cold to go outside, so I'm just staying in again. <laughs> is that your ankle again? No, um, I had a, a triple hernia repair. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't even know I had these hernias, right? So during lockdown, because I was just walking around, like, for for, for, for hours every day to avoid doing my PhD work and lost loads of weight. And then I was like, that looks a bit weird. I went to the doctors and they're like, you've got hernias. And I was like, great. So um, then got put, you know, got referred and, and, and whatever. And it turned out I've got, four, I had four. There's four hernias. And uh, so I had an operation about three weeks ago now uh, to get them all repaired all in one go. So um, it's agony. It was agony. It's, I've, yeah. heard, I've, I've heard a double hernias. I've never heard the quadruple hernia. Well, I was going into for a bilateral, which is both sides of the groin. But no, no. Belly button got done for free, so you know if you if they're gonna if they're gonna give you for free, you think well, why not? Let's just get them all fixed. Oh, so. There we go. So that proves it. Simply walking doesn't make you slimmer. You should get <laughs> hernias instead. There you go. There we go. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to Google how to. No, I'm joking. I'm someone's gonna think I'm being deadly serious right now, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's really what I've been up to for the past three and a half weeks is just recovering. Anyway, since um, we should probably get the podcast off you, so <laughs> let's get ungagged. Hey.
Okay, first item in the agenda. Glasgow City Council has passed a motion requiring hospitality businesses to provide free and safe transport home for late night workers after 11 o'clock. It will apply to any new alcohol licences or existing businesses applying to extend operating hours. Since the campaign was launched in 2021, schemes have been introduced in Edinburgh City Council, Eastern Bartonshire, uh, North Ayrshire, Falkirk and Dundee. Brian, do you want to start us off? You want to talk about this? Um, you're quite excited about it. I was very excited about this policy. I, I love this one. It's a great campaign that was um, kicked off by um, Unite Hospitality in 2021. We've seen it starting to appear in other councils, like you've mentioned, but obviously now it's, it's gone to Glasgow City Council, which is which is uh, being passed, I believe, unanimously, which is interesting, considering mm-hmm. by the makeup of some parts of that council. Even the Tories um, supported it, strangely enough. Yeah, that's... I don't understand that. But anyway, great. Um, good. Um, some people that were not so enthusiastic about targeting hospitality um, workers to get home was our uh, the, the nice positive group called Scottish Hospitality Group. I don't know if anyone's ever seen them on Twitter. Basically, the, this group that was formulated, it's one of these collectives that represent the, the business needs of hospitality workers. It was set up during the COVID pandemic because the Scottish government were obviously targeting them specifically because, you know, they were trying to destroy their businesses and, and whatnot. But they're not really there so much for the frontline service staff. They're more for the business needs. So this particular group were not particularly ent- enthusiastic about this idea, um, but then managed to kind of shroud their uh, concern around this policy, saying, well, it should be all workers that work at, at, in the evening. And I was like, what a fantastic idea. <laughs> Why don't we extend it? to everyone who has to work after 11 o'clock at night. Because what what I think this kind of highlights specifically, um, the, the person who was at the forefront of this policy is Caitlin Lee. She had experienced abuse when she was uh, finished on a late shift working in a hotel um, and her last bus didn't show up. So this was the sort of trigger point that, that kind of started this. And for, for somebody who's worked in hospitality pretty much my whole working life in retail, and that's where my research sits, so this is something that... Um, is is not uncommon. This is something that you think if I, you know, finish work at 12, one o'clock in the morning and you're thinking, well, how am I going to get home? You're actually potentially paying two hours worth of your wages in a taxi to get home. So you're like, great, rather than working eight hours and being paid for it, I'm only going to be paid for six hours because I need to pay to get home. Um, or you need to, you know, try and organise an informal agreement with, with other people who work there who might drive to drop everybody off, which just, you know, puts a lot of pressure on one individual who might drive, um, which is something we had set up in one hotel that I worked worked in. Somebody used to drop everybody off and would give them, you know, a couple of quid or whatever. Um, and it's for now just to see, well, it should actually be the responsibility of the employer to get their staff home safely, particularly if there's no public transport. But obviously turning away from that too is thinking about why don't we have public transport after that time of night, especially in places like Glasgow? And, you know, when you look at some of these council areas, some of them might be more rural, you know, and, and don't have, I say, much of a demand for, for late night public transport. But if people are working and people are needing to get places, we should have publicly owned transport, which meets the needs of everybody. Um, but this policy, I think, is a step in the right direction where it is protecting some of the some of the most precariously employed uh, workers who are on some of the, the lowest wages. Um, and I think it's particularly going to be beneficial uh, for women who work in the, in, in the industry, for queer people, minorities, people who could be targeted for hate crimes. So I think generally 
this is just positive and it's nice to see uh, it being adopted in Glasgow City Council but it's obviously in Edinburgh as well too which is really really good and another win for the trade union movement particularly in hospitality which is the lowest membership of trade unions in the whole of the UK so nice and positive. That's really really Um, good as well because when you a lot of people are just like well what trade unions what 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 are they good for and they've brought us so many things like Mm -hmm. the weekend like holidays Mm -hmm. like maternity and paternity pays and this is just another another you know huge win and a long line of wins so Mm -hmm. well done to well done to them no it's good really positive what other um, just when they say they're saying it should be all workers off the top of my head i'm struggling to think of any outside of hospitality that would really need it the same Uh, way nursing yeah Yeah. nursing social care perhaps well i mean i'm on social care and a I think nursing is probably similar, but they do kind of structure the shift so that you mm-hmm. wouldn't be finishing that late. Like the night shift would do, usually come in, obviously, the daytime they finish, mm-hmm. you know, public transport would be back on. The closest uh, it would come in social care is things like Christmas Day, New mm-hmm. Year's Day, where there's obviously no public transport at all. And in my experience, the the work is always organised transport for people, mm-hmm. um, either informally, be make sure everybody's paired up or be paid for taxes so it's i'm not sure what the legal basis of that though is is that just the fact that it's like a couple of days a year and they're charities so they're in theory uh, very nice employers um, <laughs> and they just doing that off the own back or it's it's true i think the scottish hospitality group was basically saying oh well this is unfair you're targeting hospitality everyone should be included and then when you actually think about it yeah if you're going to be working that late at night night shifts and social care tends to start before public transport finishes and because usually a lot of these employers think about these things because otherwise they're they're trying to make those positions as attractive as possible for people so they're actually able to travel back and forth um but Really, it's just nonsense. Sometimes retail workers is another one. I believe that retail workers should be included in that. If you think about some supermarkets, if they close at 10 o'clock, they've got a closed down section of the shift. It could be half 10, it could be 11 o'clock, perhaps even later, especially at Christmas time as well. I mean, from oh, experience, yeah. uh, I know when I worked in, you know, Brent Cross down in London, was a manager down there. Like it was trading till 11 o'clock at night and, and White City used to trade till midnight. So, you know, there is some instances where um, retail could be incorporated in that as well. But basically it should just be if if somebody is finishing, you know, after 11 o'clock, there should be a lot more blanket for that. However, the issue is um, employment is reserved to Westminster. So if we're going to try and do some kind of blanket thing, which is linked in with, with employment, um, that would have to be done that way. However, with hospitality um, workers, it's a lot easier to link it to licensing. So we can say, okay, you know, you're applying for licensing, you need this to function. So for us to give you this, actually you need to make sure your staff get home. And these things can be can be linked really well. Same goes with, with other policies when it comes to employment as well that the Scottish government could adopt. Is banning zero contracts, for example, they could link that to any business support. For example, we can say, okay, you know, look at all the business support that businesses got over the pandemic, hospitality businesses they could say well actually one caveat to that is if you use zero contracts you will no longer be able to apply for for support through the scottish government so there is different ways that you can sort of attack these um kind of policies onto something that's not necessarily employment law just when you were talking to the scottish government i suddenly realized that we're an all green podcast this evening Thank we are <laughs> all we do, all we do has been green and all, all sides of the table yeah <laughs> 
I swear, I swear um, to to our listeners that we have, you know, many, many, you know, Labour members, SNP members, <laughs> SSP members. You know, it, it's just uh, when planets, you know, collide, weird stars. I don't know. Yeah, it's a coincidence. We swear. Personally, I'm here for the green takeoffs. Yeah, you're literally wearing green right now, and you've got green headphones. The, the headphones aren't green. It does look green on my webcam, but it's not green at all. It's, um, it's, it looks Is weird. it brown? It must be the lightning. It it's more yeah. like a grey. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. Anyway, the, the listeners can't see that, so that's um, <laughs> not that interesting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for Uncagged Live, coming soon. Then then I will need to brush my yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it was it was good to see us going through. And, I mean, that's what, one, two three, four, five, six council areas mm-hmm. now. Um, so only 26 to go. Hopefully yeah. we just see a wee, a wee tsunami of, you know, a domino effect between, like, across all the councils. Um, I know some some more rural places will probably mm-hmm. be maybe harder, but I, maybe in some rural places e- easier. I, I don't know. Um, but I really hope we just see the whole of Scotland follow suit. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, just, I, mean, I, I was just going to say some some of the kind of rural councils there's maybe not the same demand because they maybe don't have as big a hospitality sector mm-hmm. and people working in it but at the same time they're, it's probably harder to get back home from you know a hotel or a pub in, like, in a more rural area than it is in Glasgow think, or Edinburgh I think as well as the makeup of some of these councils who's leading the councils who's, who's in partnership with who who's actually going to propose these types of things. I think that's more the, you know, that's the challenge in, in some of those areas. But, um, you know, if you've got 26 councils to go, and, and it tends to be that kind of thing where, you know, a lot of councils go for it, and then, you know, there's a bit more pressure applied to them from, from you know, the, cons- the constituents uh, that work in those sectors thinking, well, that's unfair. You know, if you look at Glasgow, they'll get paid to, you know, get a taxi home. Why is it because I, you know, live in this council area that I'm not entitled to that? So you could literally say it's a postcode lottery. You could literally, literally say. It, it literally is, and it could be somebody who works in Glasgow who lives in South Lanarkshire who's not entitled to that, but because they work in Glasgow, they are. So it's you know things like that that uh, hopefully we start to see this being taken up. So it'll be good to see if there's any councillors listening, just just get it proposed in your council, get it passed, and uh, and and unite hospitality seem really keen to to see this uh, this problem be a thing of the past because people shouldn't feel scared about finishing their shifts the and the the, precari- the precarious nature of hospitality work too is that sometimes people don't have finishing times uh, you know you start at five o'clock mm-hmm. you could finish at 10 11 12 1 2 just depending on how busy it is and it's almost like people fearing that time coming oh well, it's quarter you know it's quarter to 11 now i'm going to miss that last bus i really hope you know i don't finish and you know any later than this so hopefully this will put an end to that well, we do have councillor Cal Johnson Dempsey that was a guest a, a few weeks ago, and I, I know he's a he listens every week. So if you're listening, Cal, maybe that's something we could get going. Go in South, South sure. Get it in there. Okay, I think we'll move on to the next topic now, unless anybody's got any final contributions they'd like to make. Okay, the next topic this evening: Downing Street has not ruled out mounting a court challenge to a law set to be passed later this month by the Scottish Parliament which will simplify the legal process for anyone in Scotland who wants to change their gender. UK government source told the BBC they had concerns people from elsewhere in the UK might relocate to Scotland to change gender. 
including Scottish ministers, wanted to paint Scotland as a haven of inclusivity in comparison to nasty Westminster. A separate UK official told the BBC there was genuine concern about the impact the legislation could have across the rest of the UK. They added that they hoped a legal battle could be avoided. Beth, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's 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 really two sides to this story, I feel. One we could be genuinely concerned about, and then the other sides, from what I've been told, is bullshit anyway. So the idea that this is somehow the Scottish Parliament overstepping itself again, like it did in the case of the rights of the child, which I just can't believe <laughs> that the, the whole of the UK has not adopted that, but never mind. Um, a lot of the opponents to the GRA are trying to say that this is an overextension, that, that really, because we don't have a devolved Equality Act in Scotland, we can't really registrate on the GRE, except that's that's not true. Uh, well, no, that is true, but except that's not really the case. Um, so the GRE is is devolved here, and we can edit it and that. Um, and it's also not the Equality Act. The Equality Act is a different legislation that, to be fair, like a lot of TERFs um, and, and gender critical or whatever they're calling themselves this week, believe they're two and the same thing. Um, but they're not. They're very. They're two different laws. One is about administration about your birth certificates. The Equality Act is a, is a much bigger act that goes into discrimination and, and, and all sorts more. So uh, the idea that it can somehow go to court and, and be stopped that way, I think is, is rubbish. Um, I don't think that will happen or can happen. But the second side to this story that they won't recognise certificates and in, in, that has been produced by Scotland. We'll see if that's something that, that they can do. Obviously, they reserve the right to do that with other countries. It's just that the UK is, is a country of countries, so it's, it's quite weird that they're doing it to themselves, if that makes sense. Um, so I think, I think we should be concerned about that. But I think it's, it's more likely that a trans person will move from England to Scotland rather than from Scotland to England at this point. We see one government being, you know, just trying to block this as well, or trying to talking like it's blocking this, because so much of this is about, you know, panic. And it's about trying to make us feel like, well, it's hopeless, let's stop trying to fight for this because it's going to be blocked anyway. And that's the sort of the idea. I don't think that can happen, that it can just be blocked. Um, but I think the English government, and we'll see, we'll see if this is right or wrong, do reserve the right to to not recognize certificates from Scotland but that creates an even bigger question because we're seeing trans politics now wrapped up in devolution and also independence so me as as you know a trans socialist from from Scotland who loves the idea of independence this is just like three big huge issues all at the same time and it's weird to be at the center of it right yeah uh, I completely agree with what, with what Beth was saying. Um, I was not surprised to see this. I think this is a bit of a, um, what's the opposite of a virtue signal? I'm not quite sure. We, keep, <laughs> we, we did discuss this before, but I can't remember what, what the opposite of virtue was. But this is basically signalling to, mm. to the right. This is signalling and to inflame a moral panic uh, or to, to continue to exacerbate an ongoing moral panic. Uh, because what we've got at the moment is a Conservative government that is, you know, Poland is not looking favourable for them right across the UK, uh, and they're actually starting to pick fights 
in, in different places, you know, to, to rally up their base. So, you know, RMT is uh, victim number one, um, you know, trans people is victim number two. And then, you know, uh, people who are trying to seek asylum uh, in the UK is, is another big one. And it's all very much more of this, the same and basically trying to signal to, to their voter bases, you know, these are the important issues for us and this is what we should be talking about. We should be talking about all these other horrendous things that we've either done or not done anything about. Um, of course, um, the because of the weird setup of the UK, so countries within countries, you know, it's, it, it is a, such a bizarre and, and almost unique situation that the UK is in when it comes to um, reserved matters, stroke, devolution, with all devolved nations having different levels of powers as well. It's, it's actually really quite messy. But what had the uh, UK government entered this uh, entered into this in, in good faith is to say we need to just clarify where we set do we need to pass any legislation to support this because this is what the devolution settlement this is obviously what the devolved government wants to do to with the GRA to you know be kind <laughs> to be inclusive um and you know they what they could have facilitated that to say well this is what the government wants to do we should go to court to test this to make sure that this legislation can you know can can go ahead but we know that's not the case um so i think it's just it just feels like another barrier for for this legislation to to go through you know this this legislation apparently is rushed through you know it's been 6 years in the making and now um the the uk government is you know trying to to scupper this even further because we've seen as you know the 6 years have gone off you know around these um debates around the, the gra and the process and what it should look like is the scottish tories have become very very vehemently against supporting anything even the you know the the basis uh, of of the, the 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 legislation whereas before i believe it was actually in their um manifesto in 2016 so um they're obviously just saying oh great this is something that we can we can divide people with you know to to increase our voter base you know because uh, it looks like the independent stuff isn't really going very well at the moment so um yeah i'm, I'm not surprised to see it i'm hoping that it's something that you know will be compatible uh, within the current um devolution settlement however we just don't know how things are going to go and and it's just really sad that the uk government and or the scottish government has to go to court to clarify when they want to pass legislation it's just really really it's just a sad state of affairs and, and ultimately bolsters the support for scottish independence which we've seen is polling extremely high um, at the moment so it's true what you're saying it encompasses all of these main issues in Scotland politics you know and it would just be interesting to see see what happens next we just have to wait and it's that's a sad state of affairs yeah um I think you know it, it's awful it's awful that it's happening but mm -hmm. I think you know with an independent Scotland we can enshrine like LGBT plus rights into the constitution or mm -hmm. you know or, or you know just civil rights in general as well so it's it's horrible to see that that they're doing this but it's it's almost like and i know they already hate trans people tories but it's it's almost just like they, they want uh, scotland or just the uk the element of the union itself to just implode because mm -hmm. everything that they're doing at the moment just seems to be nudging and ever since the supreme court um over the referendum ability for scotland to hold a referendum or not as you said like support is just increased past then the idea of being told no scotland you can't have it it i know we joke about it but it does just make people want it more mm -hmm. um, and i was when i was reading these quotes from like 
government UK government sources. Mm-hmm. It it just seemed, uh, said to me like that not surprisingly, UK government completely ignorant of what's going on in Scotland. Mm-hmm. That this this has been a very long running um, issue that's been um, like multiple uh, consultations. But it's as if they're really only hearing about thinking about it in terms of Scotland for the first time, where they and they think it's all about them. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, this is this is to do with the constitution. This is about us. This is them about trying to I mean, the way they, they, they say haven of inclusivity is if it's a bad thing. Um that's that's not do you know what I read the same the same article that you're reading now and I thought it was almost our side that said that we want to paint ourselves as even rather than the other way around it's them saying it to us which how is just, dare you it's that's crazy to think about and like it's just it it will pass like I'm I'm very very sure that mm-hmm. it will pass um it's, it's seeing what amendments go oh, go in uh-huh. and out um and we're going to see some really weird sites. I've seen that it's announced that there's going to be a vigil on, on the 20th. So on the eve itself of the GRA passing, they're going to hold a vigil outside Parliament for the death of women's rights. And it's just, it's getting really, really sad. And they also broke into Labour, Scottish Labour's um, head offices like the other day, oh. the one on Bath Street as well and put up like adult human female stickers and I'm just like guys do you not know like do you ever look at yourselves and wonder why you're losing political relevance because it's just you had it at one point really like honestly see it like because this is the most consultative on on piece of legislation Mm -hmm. in Hollywood's history um and at one point they we really like you would hear Nicola Sturgeon and she would almost echo the same words of legitimate concerns and we need to see if there are legitimate concerns and that's why we've consulted on more, this bill more than any other bills um but since it's just like they've totally lost mm-hmm. um the the sort of hell the advantage points that they all they all used to have and it's it's obviously it's good for for trans people it's almost just sad to see but mm-hmm. And and you can see as well, like them, you know, turning on uh, rape crisis. You know, they're actually yeah. like shutting down really vital services for vulnerable women. And you know, it's just almost. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and think, you know, I've always said this, and it's always been on my head. If you need to turn to Myrtle Fraser for your feminism, it's probably not that inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's you know just that's one thing just. Always remember, if you have to turn to people like Murdo Fraser for for your progressive politics, it's definitely not progressive and it's definitely not inclusive and it's definitely not going to be liberating for mm-hmm. women, uh, for queer people or or any minority. So please j- just have a reflection on that. Is Murdo Fraser your pinup for feminism today? Then it's probably not the best thing to to go after. Yeah, I mean, it allowed in the second stage of the GRA debate, John Mason, like said, I'm mm-hmm. on the side of women. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to see these absolute anti-feminist arseholes be able to to pretend that, oh, no, we, we, we care about you and all, all the issues. And it's just the, these people oppose, you know, abortion. They voted, you know, the Tory party putting through you know the rape clause mm-hmm. the bedroom tax and it's just it's it's mental to see um all these politicians being able to somehow rebrand themselves but keep the worst 
of of their politics when you actually look at their issues on women their policies on women it's it's awful i can't remember who it was but i think it was another some gender critical figure recently that declared that the tories were now the party of women's rights and at some point when you're saying that would you not pause and go wait a minute that doesn't sound quite right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's it's like an oxymoron in itself it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't compute and there's just such a sadness about it there there really is like you know when you think about that is what people have are ruminantly being pushed towards thinking and Mm. it's quite scary that how We've seen these policies not that long ago. We're, we're talking about the the two child from the rape policies. You know, we're holding them up as some sort. Of, they are holding them up as some sort of template to towards women's rights. And their version is, oh well, we need to cut welfare. So if you have more than three kids, well, sorry, you're not going to get any support from us. But don't worry, if it was through rape, you can fill in this form, and we'll we'll make sure you get that. And that's that's the version of feminism, and it's just. So it's just sad. It's well, just it's really sad. It's been announced today that J.K. Rowling is is putting mm-hmm. her her own money to offer, and it's not it's not a rape crisis service. It's it's a, it seems to be a therapy service because mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's only up until four, um, and and the whole stick is like we don't accept any trans women or men, and mm-hmm. um, you must have these specific chromosomes to come along. And it's just like, well, if you're if you're that's fair that you've put your money where your, your your mouth is but if you're fleeing domestic violence if you've ran out of your home and and you've ran to this this clinic this this service uh, you, you, your purse is at home you, you didn't think to to bring you know your birth certificate with you um and they're asking for proof of your sex um and it's just it's really mental how there's going to be a service like that. Normally, I'm like more services equals equals good, but it's. I don't know. I really hope that we're we're not going to a situation where we're asking traumatized women to mm-hmm. to prove that they're actually women because they have a buzz cut or you know that they don't look. They might be gender nonconforming or or whatever, and it's it's just mental to see, you know, because what what then? What do you ask? And I've been debating about people on Twitter, and Twitter's completely been unusable for me today because I said mm-hmm. like these are women who are at you know their lowest point, and you know I don't really think it's just to like attack these vulnerable women with um, turf talking points or the mm-hmm. idea that women are, are men are the the natural predators of women or not, and it's all biological. Um, but the second point is how do you get the proof that you know the idea that you need to prove first of your chromosomes and I was arguing with people online is like what happens if this situation like expires like and abusers at home you can't just simply go home is it genital inspections is that is that what we're going to um and it's just it's 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 quite weird to see how turf rhetoric is like twisting these things and it looks I don't know Obviously, I'm talking about a billionaire service. Don't want mm-hmm. to say too much, um, but it's it's really it's something to worry about, and it's it's not that great. Like it's not, yeah. So it's just it's really weird to see Scotland be used as almost like a te- a testing ground for mm-hmm. a lot of these talking points, and we've seen it delay vital legislation. And at the end of the day, the GRA, the only thing that ele- the only reason why I want a gender recognition certificate is I'm never going to get married. So I don't need my marriage 
um, mm-hmm. certificate to be like up to date with my gender. I just want to die with dignity. So when mm-hmm. eventually, when uh, unfortunately comes the hopefully in the very far future that a death certificate has to be issued uh, for me, you know, I have the right gender on it, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, but because that's that's the only thing a gender recognition certificate would allow me to do it doesn't actually change that that much. And this is this is what this massive debate this massive culture war has been all for apparently yeah and and you know what is is really frustrating is is delaying something that, as we say is, is more of an administrative thing you know for for really really important rights for for people for trans people to access um a, a gender recognition certificate if they choose to and it's something that they want to pursue and do and um, but it's the fact that it's delaying the really important discussions around well inclusion for for non-binary people and for um you know trans healthcare and all of these really really important issues that we need to be like okay, let's just get the GRA done. And then that way people have got access to this document that, you know, that they, that they want to access. So we can actually get to the nuts and the bolts of some of these really, really serious issues around inclusivity, trans healthcare, education, all these different things. Because, but for, you know, to boil it right down to be these these two key parts in life that you're going to need this gender recognition certificate for, is you think, that's we we've done two consultations in, in six years to get to this point for something that's 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 an administrative thing and, and i just worry how it's going to start to be when it comes into these really 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 uh, integral pieces of legislation around trans healthcare and things like that and it's just like oh um don't get me wrong i'm, I'm gonna be really happy when we finally got this law yeah. passed because we can start to finally talk uh, about mm-hmm. about these issues but it's even things like non-binary recognition still mm-hmm. not being here so we are going to unfortunately going to have to have this debate again and mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are just like oh do we really need to but y- yes, yes. <laughs> unfortunately we do um from my own individual like uh, my own thoughts I think it's going to be a lot easier to to pass that legislation in an independent Scotland because mm-hmm. then we don't need to ask Westminster or be tested by Westminster because I think if they're if they're saying that they're going to take us to the courts over this um just wait what they'll say when we start talking about non-binary recognition um so I think you know with independence we can we can definitely you know sort of get away from this and and enshrine like you're saying and and, Mm. and start enshrining some of these really key fundamental rights in in a written constitution so that no matter how the politics diverts and deviates in the future that these things you know for 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 gender non-conforming for trans for non-binary and queer people and for everybody that these rights can be enshrined uh, in a written constitution so that we can always feel safe Mm -hmm. i was just going to ask do we know like do the uk government at the moment, like, uh, refuse to recognise, like, from other countries that, that, that do issue. Um, I remember for Women Scotland saying Ireland was one, but that's, to my knowledge, that's not true. Um, because apparently we recognise all GRCs from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know about outside of Europe, but the thing I've seen is is we, we recognise GRCs from Europe. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's any countries outside of Europe that that we don't. But so we so they recognise the ones from Europe, but they might refuse to recognise ones from Scotland. Yeah, for the one that in the same country with the same yeah. collection of they, whatever you want to call it, collection of countries. And it's strange because um, it looks like 
our our legislation might not be as progressive. It's not going to be the most progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be world leading. So meanwhile, we may be accepting GRCs. England may be accepting GRCs that are from world leading countries, um, but just not Scotland. And that's just, that's weird. That's really weird. What a chip on your shoulder. Come on. Well, I, I always find surprising as well. Like people who aren't that familiar with the debate seem to be under the impression that this has never happened anywhere before, that it's I, not mm-hmm. legislation that's been passed in your numerous countries and not not all that recently. But I think that Ireland not passed it like best part of two decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the world is not, this, the world, the ceiling didn't collapse in and destroy women's rights the way they're constantly portraying is going to happen if this legislation gets passed. It's ludicrous. We've got real world examples. It's not all theoretical and hypothetical. And it, what's mental is the some of these countries that do have world leading um, GRC laws um, got, got interviewed as evidence, as witnesses um, mm-hmm. in the consultation stage of of this law and, and, and this bill. Um, so We've already had the reports in of, of from other countries, um, and it's our opponents are simply saying, "Oh, they're lying, or they've been captured, um, and, and they're keeping all of the problems a secret in these countries." And it's just, it's, 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 it's not, it's, it's clearly not because you'd be the first to hear it. Like you literally would be the first to hear it. Um, well, I mean, they're managing to keep it such a secret that the opponents of the bill can't get a hold of the details and don't know what's so, happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a huge conspiracy. They must be locked in a, in a vault inside a vault inside a vault. And and that's like their sort of their way of, of saying, well, that's this is why that there's not any international evidence of this bill going badly. Um, is because it's a big, it's a big hush. It's a big secret. Um, what, what and they see it as a conspiracy. Argument. I know. What a beautiful circular argument. Okay, um, and now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one and group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Unguide 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Welcome back. Um, the, ne- the next um, topic is following on from something we discussed last week. A domestic violence charity led by a black woman who was repeatedly asked where she was really from at a royal event has temporarily stopped its work over safety. Sister Space was thrown into the spotlight when its founder, Ngozi Filani, said that she felt she was interrogated by Lady Susan Hussey at Buckingham Palace last month. It says it has now ceased many of its operations over safety. Ms. Filani said she had suffered online abuse after speaking out. Brian, um, you were here last week. Uh, 
when I was talking about it with Neil and Kat. Um, so if you want to just anything you want to touch on about the, the overall instance last week. Mm-hmm. I think the, the overall instance um, that happened, but more importantly, the, the sort of reaction or what happened after it, um, I think is, first of all, no person, particularly people of colour, should be asked questions about where they're really from. Um, and that that kind of conversation would never have happened if it was with another white person. So, you know, there's huge racial elements to that. And the fact that someone feels it's acceptable to move somebody's hair out of the way so they can see their, their label without asking them a question. Oh, what's your name? Or, you know, literally, where do you come from? And some of the responses um, that was given was like, well, this is the charity I'm from. This is where I live. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't suitable. It was, you know, became such a huge in- interrogation. Um, and, you know, the, the palace, as it always does, huge, huge panic. OK, so, you know, even... Um, you know, so basically this person is, you know, stepping down from the role and let's get them out of the way. And it becomes that sort of bad apple type, you know, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. You know, it's, uh, you know, that this person's no longer here. And then you get the talking points of, well, she was an 83 year old woman. You know, perhaps we should be a bit more compassionate about um, the views that this individual might have. And, you know, these I've seen these discussed at length and ultimately it just comes down to somebody who has a lot of privilege, who has a lot of access to training, to, um, you know, understanding, you know, what what the kind of social arena is like, you know, a very privileged person, educated person, and still thinks it's acceptable to act in that way is just absolutely horrendous. Um, and then looking beyond that, so, you know, Sister Space is having to s- cease supporting um, black women who are support who are facing domestic violence, right? All because some people are saying, you know, trying to defend, um, you know, something from the royal palace, you know, and and almost sort of going after um the charity and, and the work that they do, and I even seen some talking points of saying, well, this this charity um only uh you know functions to to support black women who face domestic abuse. And, and, you know, that daft sort of reverse racism, you know, mm. oh, you know, that's really racist. They should be, you know, supporting anybody that needs help. Well, no, the reason these charities have to exist is because the system that's been set up does not support these people. Um, you know, I, I, made, uh, I, I was reading really, really good sort of threads on this particular thing. And they were talking about, you know, if you go to the police and you are reporting domestic violence, the first thing they'll do was check for bruising. Bruising will show up differently on dark skin, particularly on on darker skin, um, and and you know ultimately there, there was um examples of where black women weren't being believed that they had experienced abuse because there was you know you don't look like you've been um you know abused in this certain way, and this is why it's so important to have organisations like this to to meet the needs of people who are experiencing domestic violence, and if you are going to attack, first of all, just attack. A charity first of all you might want to take a step back and think mm, why am i doing this it's probably not going to help anybody but if you're attacking a charity which is for for black women and 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 trying to undermine the fact that, the, um, that they have experienced racism again you might want to stop and reflect and think mm, maybe this is not quite right i just i just don't understand what goes through these people's heads that they intimidate um 
people who are trying to provide a service to really vulnerable people by verbal or, or, or threats or whatever it might be. I just don't understand why you would think that that's okay and why what motivates you to do that I, I genuinely don't understand and I just think ultimately it's just going to impact on black women who need access to support and it's just it's just such a headache and and I, and I genuinely so much solidarity to sister space and I hope that they can start functioning and uh, and get the get the and get things moving again yeah I mean I saw like today like somebody had made like a 22 tweet thread mm, mm. Uh, claiming the, the the truth about sister space and I, was like, and I think i got like 10 tweets in and i was like and they're all talking about accounts and the dates the charity was set up and the administrative or uh, costs and things like that and i'm just thinking what point are you trying to make here it just seemed like it was just vague sort of innuendos mm -hmm. and, and trying to cast some kind of suspicion of financial impropriety and I mean literally I didn't know what they were talking about or what they were even trying to allege they were just sort of trying to hint that there was something shady about it there was something wrong with the charity and it's like even if some of this the facts were true what is the hell is that going to do with that interaction that happened Mm -hmm. And how does that change the, the facts of that? The facts are not in dispute. You know, Lady Susan Hussey, uh, to her credit, apologised, mm -hmm. um, has offered to give a personal apology. So she clearly recognises that she was in the wrong. Mm -hmm. The palace, pretty much, I don't know if they sacked her or kind of hinted her that she should resign. But they've removed her from her post, so they clearly are not trying to defend it. So why are these absolute arseholes in social media still trying to fight in behalf of the royal masters who don't even seem to be wanting who don't really seem to be taking an issue with it because um, they're racists yeah <laughs> because they're racists um you know this they said and say like a lot of people debate about its current thing but this institution of of the royal family was you know finance slaves um and built on colonization mm -hmm. um and producing one of the biggest empires the world has ever seen so you know it, it doesn't surprise me that racists want to defend the racist institution mm -hmm. um it's just really sad to see that they go this far as closing down um a service like this really um obviously to to, to go back to what we were talking about earlier a lot of similarities um with what gender critical activists did with um edinburgh uh, crisis mm -hmm. rape center because that is a center that is uh, run by a trans woman and it's just disgusting when bigots act like this um and it just shows you that you know a lot of of people when, when i was growing up was going like, oh the world's getting so much better and mm. i don't think so i think we're, we're slowly taking a back step and we can't be relaxed uh when it comes to things like this and issues of equality. Yeah, I think we did have a period where we had progress and those of us at a certain age incorrectly assumed that it was always going to be progress and mm -hmm. we're seeing that sort of slide back at the moment. Um, I think it's also sending a kind of message out where it's saying on the, one, 
on the surface, Buckingham Palace have dealt with this very well. You know, let's say they've removed her from her post. She's apologised. But you just wonder if it's if they're quite happy to see this charity and this individual sort of crucified in social media because mm-hmm. I think if somebody was to go and experience a, a similar incident now, they would certainly think twice about speaking up the way um, Ngozi Falani did because even when you're right and even when they admit you're right, you have consequences that you, you end up facing anyway. Um, and it's it's just horrible to see. No. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that we can we should also reflect on how the um the palace reacted um with Lady Susan Hussey. Uh Nagoza Villani did not actually ask for her to be removed. Um there was no I don't I don't believe in and I'm sorry if I'm misquoting here, but it was very much that, that Nagoza Villani did not want Lady Hussey to 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 lose her post or be removed from her post or whatever. Um and it's very much this is where the sort of like bad apple narrative can be painted quite easily. It's almost like we'll just remove this one person when actually it's the whole institution that's the problem. It's the the wealth, the privilege, the the history um that this institution has, where somebody who has been part of that, you know, for, for 60 odd years is entitled to to act in that way. And that's that that shows a much much deeper issue than just a bad apple. You know, it should, we can make similar um, comparisons to to Met Police, for example, where you know it's always that oh, there's always that one bad cop. Oh, this person was caught doing this, or this person was caught doing that. Well, no. When you step back and look at all of these incidents that are being reported, what is actually going on in the surface? What is the institution allowing? What is the institution turning a blind eye to? What is the institution actually encouraging? And I think that if you, you know, we, if you look at the the, the sort of Meghan Markle and Harry interview with Oprah Winfrey, there was suggestions made that a senior royal was concerned about what colour of skin Harry and Meghan's child would have. So if you're getting that, those types of things are happening um, in the royal household and we're only hearing snippets, little examples, like things like this that are going to the surface because somebody was brave to speak out about it on social media and they are facing the consequences of doing that what is actually going on what is actually going on you know and if you look at this institution as well was it the 1960s where they refused to employ people of color that's not even that long ago so it just shows you that you know and it's the feeling you know david that maybe people of, of, of our age that you do feel like there was that constant improvement things were starting to look more positive and there was just an archway where it just started to go and 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 i genuinely think that you know not even that long ago I used to feel optimistic about inclusion uh, in Scotland in, in some parts of the UK even I was feeling that we were on this really really positive journey and I can say that as, as somebody who's white I, I can't I don't have the experiences of, of people of colour but it seemed that we were heading in the right direction but I just feel that that it's it's just taken an absolute nosedive and it's just been whipped up um, by a conservative government um, who are taking aims at a lot of different uh, minorities and and this is now manifesting itself uh, on social media in just really frank and, and specific cases uh, like like this one. Uh, I just wanted to pick up my point you mentioned earlier as well, Brian, about um, people taking issue with the fact that it's a charity for black women. Yeah. You know, the charitable sector in the UK, that's, that's how it's set up. It's mm-hmm. for people setting up niche charities to serve very specific um, 
groups, whether it be people who suffer from uh, a very specific illness or um, by people who have particular knowledge of a specific community. And, you know, that's how it works. Nobody's stopping anybody else um, from helping whoever they want. Um, and the idea that, you know, if in order to help anybody, you have to help everybody. It's just, it all, only ever comes from people who's not interested in helping anybody other than themselves. Or from white people. <laughs> ultimately that you're going to turn and say oh well that's exclusionary because you know I'm not allowed to take part in that or my you know people in my family would not benefit from that but rightly because of the charitable sector that we have there is all these niche charities that come up and the only reason all these niche charities have appeared is because of the failure of the state <laughs> this mm -hmm. is why they this is why they they are set up you know in the ideal world you know the state would provide for everybody and the state would be inclusive and and you know and provide to the needs of everybody so you know charitable sector steps in and then even the charitable sector as it is needs to to diversify to meet the needs of um a diverse population so this is how these little niche um charities will be started up because there's a demand for them there's a need for them because they're not being provided for by the state or even by the more mainstream charities so it's just a reflection of where our society needs to be more inclusive and better as well and and, and it, it's not always and it's not always coming from a malevolent point of view mm -hmm. like you, you mentioned the way, the way bruising shows up in different skin mm -hmm. types you know that's something that if um somebody does not have experience of different Mm -hmm. communities just wouldn't really know and mm -hmm. they would make policy they would make decisions without that knowledge which and this indirectly and unknowing to them would be could be discriminatory and mm -hmm. could lead to people uh, being excluded that's not because they they're, they themselves are racist it's they didn't know something because they didn't have um the right voices in the room to yeah. tell them at the time it's 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 true. If we look at if we had a more representative and diverse parliament uh, at different levels, local government, national mm. government, UK government, you know, all these big institutions, if they were actually representative of the population, these types of things would not be overlooked. And we can see this, you know, another example when you look at you know healthcare, for example, uh, with people of color, is uh, vaccine hesitancy because of the experiences in the past, because it's predominantly be all of these. Um, you know, medication was tested predominantly on white people. So um, when it came to uh, dealing with impacts of diseases or uh, symptoms in people of colour, the, uh, they were they were experiencing either side effects or there was a difference in, in, in how their bodies were taken to it and, and the benefits of these drugs. So it just shows you if you do not have the right people making the right policies and, and, and those voices in the room, like you're saying, then this is how we end up with with a fractured society this is the, you know this is an evidence of fractured society and then you've got you know some white guy you know sat on twitter saying this is racist because you're not letting white people use your service i mean what you know it, because of all these failures and policy through you know for the, all the way through society that uh, black women need to come together to create a charity to to create a service that that provides to the needs of them and and they have to be ridiculed for that. It's just I remember seeing sake. seeing that point quite well demonstrated on a video on Twitter a few years ago. Mm -hmm. You know how like the hand dryers and toilets, like the kind of older ones where you push the button, but obviously mm -hmm. for hygiene reasons, 
your ones it's like you put your hands under and it detects them and it switches on. Oh, I saw I saw one and it was uh, I think it was a man a black a black a black guy went to try his hands and it didn't trigger like when he put his hands under. No, nobody mm. was set nobody mm. set out to design a racist hand dryer, but it was clear there was no black people involved in the testing process of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's like quite a a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but it, I think it demonstrates how you know the unforeseen consequences of of having people uh, not involved. Mm-hmm. I believe the, um, remember when the restaurant industry brought in the sort of temperature checkers that they would put up to your head and it would make a beep and they would say, right, you can come in now because you don't have a high temperature. I believe they also um, didn't work with black people because it just mm-hmm. didn't, was never set up with that skin colour in mind. Um it's the same um, with the little uh, things that go on your finger, you know, when you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, older style ones anyway. We're not as sensitive to people with darker skin as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, just not having an inclusive process from start to finish, whether it be products, whether it be services, whether it be charities, whether it be the state, whether it be healthcare, that well, basically just stop excluding people. <laughs> it's also because, like, see when these people go on about reverse racism, they don't, they don't, acknowledge that that racism itself is a system mm-hmm. in itself and it is is set up and it's an access of oppression that as white people we don't we we will not be hit by that ever um and a lot of people are like oh well i'm not privileged but well mm-hmm. in in a race element you are like um unless you're like a white minority like a, a, tra- a traveler or irish mm-hmm. or so on and so forth um but for, for us you know it's just caucasian scots like it's not you know we're never going to be discriminated on on, on our race yeah and it's not just that we won't be hit with but we don't even see it we don't see it mm-hmm. so for a lot of people they don't see the issue because they don't experience it and it just doesn't seem to so they're confused and sometimes the first reaction that people is if I've no experience that or seen it, they're very sceptical and they, so they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like that uh, there's another story and, and I didn't I didn't catch any names in it, unfortunately, but there was a story in London where there was a uh, two young black boys were detained by the transport police because one of them didn't have a valid ticket and they were taken into to custody. Um and uh, their mother we then went to local police stations to try and track them down and hadn't heard from them for two hours, right? So they didn't know where these children were. Um, and they she was obviously panicking, worrying because of the treatment of young black boys when it comes to the police. And the reaction to to that, you know, because we, we wouldn't see that if 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 it was a a, a, a you know parents of, of a white child, they're trying to find their their son, they're concerned, you know, you know, what police station they're going to be in. They it would never ever cross their mind to think that what if this person was physically abused, they were killed, um, you know, at, at the hands of, of the, the Metropolitan Police or, or any police force. Yet if you are uh, if you've got if you're a parent to a young black boy, that's something that actually goes through your head. Mm-hmm. And, and that is we we just don't see that. We don't have that impulse. We don't have that fear. Um and that that's privilege in, in action because it's just something that we don't have to consider. It's something that we don't see. It's you know, and it's just um, it's just like, so so sad. For example, here in Scotland, 
I believe it's, I'm not too sure the, the exact how many years, but mm-hmm. we've been waiting, I'm pretty sure over 10 years for answers on, on, on Shekubayo and mm-hmm. the, yeah. the determine like the, the, um, the circumstance of his death uh, or his murder. Um, and it's, it's, you know, that's our police force and mm-hmm. the, that, that family's just been waiting so, so long. Um, because I remember a lot of people, you know, talking about, well, we're, we're lucky to have a, a, such a good police force mm. in Scotland when the Sarah Everett uh, murder happened. And it's like, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. We actually have. Because I, I went, I did, I did some policy work on this. Uh, mm. um, and there was a Home Office report, I believe it was in uh, 2020. Maybe it was a little bit earlier than that, that suggested Scotland had more deaths in police custody than Wales and England combined. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's really, uh, you know, it's frightening t- to hear that because I f- believe there's such a false perception about our police in, mm-hmm. in, in our home and that is it's so much better on race and it's so much better on, on gender and it's really not. And some people talk about how, you know, there's strategies and if you want to hear more, you should Google police 40% and stuff like that. But I just don't think it's going anywhere near enough fast enough um, um, I think we'll need to move on to our next story because we're running over time quite a bit mm-hmm. and I'm feeling sorry for whoever's um, going to have to ask to edit this so, um, so the final story this evening a BBC article claiming to detail the impact of rail strikes on a variety of members of the public uh, has mysteriously undergone a dramatic rewrite including the disappearance of the leading character and the appearance of two new members of the public. Owen, no second name given, was a starring character in the initial version of the article. The article said that Owen will no longer be able to see his son over the festive period due to Christmas real work strikes. The 34-year-old from Doncaster was planned to travel to see his 12-year-old boy who lives with his mother in Derby on the 27th of December, but will not make it because of the walkouts. Having supported strikes earlier in the year, Owen says, He's now against them due to the festive strikes ruining his Christmas. I've always been a staunch socialist, but it's been a year now. He says, enough is enough. The BBC later deleted the tweet of the article and tweeted that it had removed Owen because his journey was unlikely to be affected by the strike. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Yes, it did. Um, I looked at this quite quite closely. And I believe it also... um, it was also the case that the strikes ended a day before for him anyway, so he could just get... It's not even like he couldn't get a bus. Like, he could just also... Apparently, there was a route back on on the train, but, you know, well done, BBC. You, you tried. You really did try. <laughs> um, yeah, so it turned out that this was just a blatant propaganda piece against trade unions. Who could have, who could have seen the BBC do that? Wow, certainly not me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not entirely surprising that the BBC would, would try to, you know, lie about this. They've produced tons of terrible sort of talking points, anti-trade union points. Um, and, you know, I've seen, for, for me, um, you know, there's very, you know, recent memories of, of BBC lying about communities. For example, they lied about um, 
an article about trans women uh, when they published. And I think eventually they did apologize for this, but it took them a very long time to, to say sorry when they published an article that saying uh, so, some trans women are, are, are forcing women to have sex with them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't surprise me that the BBC would just so blatantly lie, but I think they were caught out and it was like taken down in less than a couple of hours. And I'm just, I'm glad that they're, they were fairly humiliated on this because it was just an outright lie. Yeah. That's what I think, trade union propaganda from the BBC. Oh my, oh my, oh my. I never ever seen this coming. Um, but yeah, this this was actually quite amusing because the actual thread underneath it was basically loads of people sharing screenshots of how this person could get from this place to this place at you know different times and you know and there was even people sharing oh my goodness there's a train ticket that's available for thirty pounds what a bargain grab it now <laughs> you know things like that um so and it just really I mean it says it calls into question uh, the the um the editorial guidelines of the BBC, um, which, you know, is selective when it comes to certain issues. Um, I think that these sort of anti-trade union pieces um, are interesting. So they use, well, they use people's stories. I mean, who are these people? Where do they come from? Um, but it's about this personal narrative that this, you know, this person cannot get to this person because they're really vulnerable and they need to be at this place. And it's so sad. It's going to ruin Christmas and all these types of things. But really this is just trying to gnaw away at the, the overall support that the trade unions have actually got. Consistent polling shows that the public are on the side of strike workers, you know, nurses being right at the top of the pile all the way through different sectors, um, which, I found quite surprising, to be honest, as somebody who who is really interested in employment relations and, and disputes, just how much support there was out there. And I think that there's so much support because of the context of the cost of living, because everybody can feel it, everyone can see it. And that's when they're like, well, yeah, these people should be demanding, you know, much higher pay rises. Whereas during times of, you know, a plenty where, you know, th those who are fortunate enough to to generally get by without having to 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 count the pennies, kind of just believe it's like a sort of myth that these people deserve a pay rise I mean if you look back during the austerity you know the narrative that was painted and, and the BBC and the other mainstream media outlets really played into this that oh you know we need to cut or you know cut these you know it's it's about they tried to use this narrative of like a household budget and you know we just, there's just not enough money for everybody and we've got this independent review body well actually these independent review bodies how independent actually are they? Because you know, government has to set the parameters of that, of what they're allowed to discuss, what they're, you know, you know, what potential, not actually saying what their outcomes should be, but it's heavily regulated on what these independent pay review bodies can say. Because conveniently, all the way through the, you know, the early years of austerity, these independent review bodies said that nurses should get a one percent pay rise, and that's also what the Tories wanted to do. So, you know, you can you can uh, make some assumptions there. But these these sort of attacks of personal stories is 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 a way of trying to encourage people to to think oh my goodness that poor person and these trade unions you know are oh, they're scuppering this and they're scuppering that but actually where the um where where the where the sort of blame firmly lies particularly with the RMT as left disputes particularly on on the rail workers is firmly at the UK government's door yeah. um they have scuppered um 
negotiations by you know throwing in last minute about you know these driver um, you know just driver only trains things like that and um, which the, the trade union is never going to accept because it's going to cause redundancies and also you know driver only trains is a huge huge issue again when it comes to vulnerable people minorities and um, security you know all of these different loads and loads of people are affected by this so the trade union is never going to accept it so the dispute will be ongoing and it's just going to be uh you know similar to the 1980s these terrible unions they need to be controlled more so we're going to protect the working people by you know hammering down on and producing even more horrendous anti-trade union legislation but what unfortunately what's happening well unfortunately for the uk government what's happening at the moment is these people that they frame as the hard-working people most of them are balloting for strike action so you know the, the, the huge i mean trade unionism you know today is, is nowhere as high as what it was back in, in the late 1970s however there is still huge amounts of people that are balloting for strike strike action loads of people will know people in the family friends that are balloting for strike action it's 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 so widespread that it's probably going to impact on everybody people are going to know people that are balloting for strike action so this kind of narrative of oh the working people and people trying to get to work well everybody's balloting for strike action because nobody has had a real terms pay rise for so long um so this this isn't necessarily going to be as successful as you'd like it to be. But the Tories are going to try. They're going to try and force through more anti-trade union uh, legislation before the next um, general election. Um, and I just hope that the trade unions can hold out and that there can be uh, that basically we can prevent trade unions being hammered down anymore because the 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 the, the hoops that trade unions have to jump through to to hold a legitimate strike, a legal strike, is. It's, it's, it's amazing that trade unions can actually reach the goals that they have to do to hold strike action. So, and also as well, and just my last point, sorry, my head's racing away at this one, um, is that people always point to trade unions and they say trade union bar barons and trade union bosses. Trade unions are instructed by their members what to do. These are the same working people that you're trying to protect. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about trade unions, we should always remember that they are the, the body that, that is representative of the collection of workers. And mostly in a lot of places, particularly the RMT, where you've got a lot of uh, poorly paid workers who are support staff, frontline staff that work on our railways. It's not just the you know the these uh highly paid trained workers that they selectively pick to say these people are paid so much well do you know what yeah they're getting paid so much because they're in a union join a union collectivize ballot for strike action when you're not uh, you're not happy because that's how people get paid fairly. Well, oh, and also like there's there's so many like with regards to the like, why are we paying these train drivers mm -hmm. even even more Train drivers are not in the RMT. <laughs> they're in a different no, they're union. <laughs> they're, like, they're in a completely different union. Um, and really what we're asking for, or what, what they're asking for, is a pay rise for their office workers, their signaling staff, their, mm -hmm. um, you know, their cleaners, you know, there's, you know, all, it's more than just train drivers. You know, our, our, our great network of rail isn't just all drivers. There's a lot more people with a lot more jobs that that make it run on time. Um, and it's not just drivers. And it's just, it's really sad to see opponents use the same talking point about driver space. We saw tons of bots on Twitter recently um, of going like, cards on the table. 
I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm a train driver and I, 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 I balloted against uh, action and I've just, I've just tore up my RMT membership um, card and it's rubbish. It's just total bots because you can copy that with your, with your mouse, you can paste it into Twitter search function and you'll see people saying the exact same thing again and again and again. Across what, the what, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Yeah, I'm just going to say there's so many levels to this story as well. Mm -hmm. Even assuming like all these, like if it was the factual accuracy of it, the whole conception of right, we're going to do a story Mm -hmm. where we're going to go and seek out individuals that are getting inconvenienced or negatively affected by the strike and highlight them. Mm -hmm. Where's where's the where's the balance there? Where's the going out and finding? Speaking to the really low-paid railway workers, mm-hmm. uh, the one that's a single mother who is struggling to pay for childcare because she's uh, not had a pay rise in years. Where's the story highlighting her story, um, experience? Mm-hmm. We won't get it. It's and it, and as a journalist, there are they just accepting and parroting something that's been fed to them by the bosses or by some right-wing think tank, or if, uh, were they involved in it? And it was squatbox.org that I, that I, I used to research this. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of, they're not a big organisation like the BBC that they can fact check as well, but they couldn't find or verify that these people were even real. Mm-hmm. In which case, I mean, it, it, were these just people that were fabricated? Were these stories fabricated? In which case, surely they could at least have made sure they were accurate. Mm-hmm. Instead of ones that's so full of holes, because if um, Owen is a real person struggling to see his son, how did he no think to look for a bus? Yeah. So either Owen was just making it up, uh, or Owen never even considered to think how else he might see his son. Never thought to check whether the strikes were on the right day that went interfere with his plans, or. Does Owen no even exist? Is some is it just some, some stock picture they're using? Someone should just create like an Owen Twitter account and just be <laughs> like, "Hey guys, it's Owen here. Sorry, I was wrong. Turns out there's lots of options." Yeah. Or just... hello, it's Owen here. I need to get to this place. Can someone please help me book a ticket? You know. Yeah. Like, it's just... Let's also... just turn Owen into like a George the Cat sort of trade union icon. Like. <laughs> then... The quote from as well, I have always been a staunch socialist. Mm. Maybe it's just me, maybe it's a regional thing, like, um, but I've been a socialist my whole life. I've never thought of myself as staunch. It's not a word I would ever use, which makes me kind of think, you know, again, if Owen's real, is he really a socialist? Because I don't know. I don't know if you can get left and right wing word, but staunch always seems like a kind of right wing word to me. So. So just because mm. a staunch uh, unionist is, is the kind of default setting when I hear that word ever. Um, but another thing as well with, with this, with, you know, because we're talking about the RMT strike specifically, we're talking about over Christmas. When the RMT announced these um, additional strike days, so, you know, the 24th, 26th, and then into the morning of, of the 27th, um, they specifically said they were targeting uh, the real works so this isn't actually, um, there. there is very little services that will be impacted by these additional strike days, um, but they are doing it so that um, maintenance work can't go ahead. And it, that's that's the main 
the main thing. So again, turning to my very good, my good friends, the Scottish Hospitality Group and the UK Hospitality Group. It's another one. And they were, you know, saying this is going to be the final nail in the coffin for the hospitality industry. Um, you know, because people are aren't going to be able to 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 go out and and and, and enjoy um hospitality venues because of the the nasty RMT. Um when actually that's not the point. That's not what these strikes are intended to do. They're intended to impact on maintenance work. So that will cause a disruption for network rail and for the train operators. That's that's the main point for these particular days and why they were selected. Also to the hospitality leaders mm-hmm. of the sector, like none of us have got a pay rise, so we're all pretty skinny anyway. So we wouldn't be able to come for I would love to have tons of Christmas berries right now. Mm-hmm. I just don't have enough money anyway. So maybe if you let everyone get a pay rise anyway, you would probably see your profits go up because people would have more disposable cash again to go out, get pints and, and, and have a nice Christmas. But mm-hmm. we can't do that at the moment because we're all skint. We're all too skint. Mm-hmm. And do you know who's one of the most poorly paid people and the, the workers? It's hospitality workers. Whoa. So if you guys want to... to to make your hospitality venues be swamped full of vibrant people Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday because they'll be working the weekends, then pay your hospitality staff more and then they can go out for pints during the week. And there you go. Um, the, the last sort of dimension to this as well, because you're absolutely right, there's just layers upon layers on this story. Here, you gotta, here, Keith, oh, God. whatever, like, you gotta repeal these laws. You gotta repeal these anti trade union laws because if you don't, I genuinely, you're, it looks like you're gonna have a hung parliament. And believe you me, you don't want a hung parliament. You certainly don't want to be in opposition again. You want to outright win. So please, like, throw the unions a bone, back them, and repeals, pledge to repeal these laws. And also get, get Wes Streeting off of um the the royal colleges of nursing like it's absolutely disgraceful that he is leading the polls a quite comfortable lead and we're starting to see that very quickly slide down mm-hmm. because you just want to out tory the tories and it's stop it's, it stop it you can win i'm a green right it's not in my interest if Labour lose the next general election, but you can genuinely wipe the floor with these Tories, but you're refusing not to. Um, you could win if you really wanted to, and you're choosing not to. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to give us more Tories. The key point on that is that we've just had a whole podcast where a lot of things have been discussed, whether it be equality issues, trade union issues, employment issues, and it's the first time the Labour Party's been mentioned. Mm. Or Keir Starmer's been mentioned. I know Scottish Labour was mentioned earlier, but you know Keir Starmer just doesn't appear on the radar when it comes to talking about employment issues because he refuses to 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 say that he's going to repeal these um, anti-trade union laws. They were in power from '97 to you know 2010, and they never repealed any of the Thatcher laws. So that says it all for you. And also, a nice little famous thing that I always like to point out is that Tony Blair, 1995, said, "I'm going to ban zero-hour contracts and." Like where we are now i think there was uh i believe it was shared about on twitter it was a labor manifesto for a very very yes. long time ago um maybe a hundred years old and it said they were going to repeal the house of lords yeah so that's that's yeah i think it was 1920s um and yeah we're still waiting 
I would say there is more chance of me getting a season ticket at Ibrooke than there is of Keir Starmer um, <laughs> repealing any anti-trade union laws. Absolutely. That just before we end, there was one aspect to this um, story as well that just made me laugh. When they re-edited it and removed Owen, and um, they put in Sarah from Kent, and it, they went from "I can't see my son" to Sarah going, "I'll have to leave my work Christmas night out early." Yeah. And it's just like. <laughs> Oh, come on, a fuck. You know, is that right? Sorry, <laughs> you all accept your low pay. Forget the pay rise. Because how else is Sarah going to have an extra bottle of Lambrini or whatever before she can get him? Ludicrous. Oh, that's the BBC. And on that note... Um... I hope Sarah gets her pints, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she think... needs to pay her hospitality staff first. Yeah. Right, we need to end this podcast. Aye, We're aye. way over time. <laughs> um, you can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles. We'll get a North American based monthly podcast, World Beat with George Gollin. And you can catch the Talking Sense podcast with Captain Erin. And if there's anything you want us to uh, talk about on Hollywood Ungag, you can tweet us at underscore ungag or send us an email ungagleft at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. We also have a very vibrant Discord community, so if you'd like to join that, please get in touch. And you can sign up for our free newsletter, ungagged.substack.com. Beth, Brian, thanks for joining me. Everybody out there, thanks for listening. I've been your host, and we'll hear from you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.